Hear the word of God from Joshua chapters 3 and 4. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shidon and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hevites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood, at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the river water flowing down the sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and there they are to this day. 
Now the priest who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priest came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so you might always fear the Lord your God. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan And all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Waypoint Church. As we jump into our text in Joshua 3 and 4 this morning, I want to go ahead and warn you in advance that we're just just diving straight into the deep end here to start. Uh, But before we do that, I want to to take a time uh, just to prepare our hearts for the, the word of God. To be preached. And, and so uh, I want to enter our time with a, a word of prayer. So we, we pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, God, that even, even, uh, even this morning, that we can gather scattered across the city in our, in our homes, God, we are still, we know we are still united as your people, God, because you're, you are working in and through each of us. God, I pray that your spirit would be moving in each of our hearts, preparing us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the things that you have done. God, that we might worship you. God, I pray that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that you give us all courage through through the power and strength of, of your mighty hand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What we think about when we think about God may be one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves. The way we answer that question will not only shape our understanding of what God is like, but it will inform the very things we think God is able to do. The kind of involvement we think he really has. We believe God is active in our world and has a purpose for our lives. And we see that. We see that here in Joshua. And his involvement has implications not just for Israel, but for all the peoples of the earth. Our text this morning on multiple occasions refers to the Ark 
of the covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is representative of God's presence with God's people. It's a tangible indication of God's nearness and authority. Except here we see on on several occasions in our text that the Ark is referred to, not as the Ark of the Covenant, but as the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. Meaning God is not some cult deity. He's He's not that kind of exclusive. He wants all the peoples of the earth to know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. He's not obligated to demonstrate his power to us like this. We, we shouldn't have some kind of prove it mentality when we approach God, as if he's never done anything for us. Rather, we shouldn't be so forgetful. We should be a people of remembrance. When I was in college, I, I took a class by a world-renowned New Testament professor who spent a whole class period, a whole class period explaining why, why miracles cannot be recorded as historical events. Because, by definition, historians are trying to recount what is most likely to have happened. And miracles are, by definition, inexplicable. The least likely of occurrences. So the two, they, they don't go together. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with that. When I read the Bible, when I read about the God of the Bible, I don't see God who does the most likely things. He's not obligated to do the most likely things all the time. I see a God who's quite pleased to do things that from a human perspective have no reasonable explanation. In fact, we'd say that that doesn't sound possible Sometimes God needs to take us beyond our abilities so that we can see our need for him. God does impossible things, not because he's into bravado, but because he is God. Some of us just need to pause and and sit with that for a moment. In a book, Your God is Too Small, a book written by J.B. Phillips in 1952, he writes, Many men and women today, this is 70 years ago, many men and women today are living often with inner dissatisfaction without any faith in God at all. This is not because they are particularly wicked or selfish or as the old fashioned would say, godless, but because they have not found with their adult minds a God big enough to to account for life. Big enough to command their highest admiration and respect, and consequently, their willing cooperation. So again, on some level, what we think about God affects how we relate to him. Small gods have limitations. I don't ask small gods to do things they can't do. I don't get disappointed when small gods fail. But a big God... He warns not just my attention, but my life, my entire participation. What you think about God matters. So what we're really talking about here is faith and whether or not God remains on the peripheries of life. Or if he's not the very reason by which you live and move and have your being. Our text this morning is concerned with Israel's miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. 
And the fact that Joshua 3 and 4 makes crossing the Jordan such a momentous event, it, it, it honestly it made me wonder about the, the previous story that we just talked about last week with, with Rahab and the spies. In particular, how did the spies cross the Jordan? What was their method for passing? I was reading up on this, and apparently before the Roman period, the only way to cross the Jordan was by fording. By fording. In other words, a shallower area of the river. Apparently in the southern part of the river, there are only five fords. But all of them were near Jericho. On this map, you don't, you don't see where those fords are, but, but you can see they're, they're coming from the east, crossing Jordan and entering the Promised Land to the west. You, you see that happening there. So those fords being near Jericho, that's, that's great news for, for Israel. But, but even fords, even fords could be difficult to cross when the water is higher. Which our text makes clear, it's, it's flood season. But God doesn't need to go our ways to bring us into the places he intends for us to go. Now, because I don't have as much time this morning, I'm, I'm going to give you four words to help trace our way through this passage. And I, I encourage you not to end there because this isn't covering everything exhaustively in, the, in this text, but, but to dig deeper on your own. And those words are preparation, power, perspective, and purpose. In chapter 3, Joshua tells Israel to consecrate themselves because he wants the people to be prepared to encounter the Lord through his mighty works. We then see the power of the Lord's mighty hand on display through this miraculous crossing of the Jordan. Then in, in Joshua 4, God instructs Joshua to choose 12 men to erect a memorial of stone so they will remember what God had done for them. He wants them to have the right perspective about these events and to remember them for the rest of their lives. Not just for their lives, but for all generations after him. And finally, God tells us the purpose of these events. He tells us what they mean and what they're for. Preparation, power, perspective, and purpose. We'll consider each in turn. So first, preparation. Now, let's not ignore time and experience and history as significant implications leading up to the Jordan crossing. God made clear promises when he called Abraham out of his father's land. He said in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What unfolds throughout the Pentateuch is, is the story arc of God being faithful to Abraham's family, even despite disobedience and sin within the family of Abraham. They experience bondage and oppression in Egypt before God hears the cries of his people and delivers them through their baptism in the Red Sea. The people walk on dry ground across the waters. And they celebrate, they rejoice, they sing songs. But then they spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. God waits for a whole generation to pass away because of their unbelief. And now, and now they're on the brink of being established in the land of the living, the place of God's abundant provision. 
So they have God's promises. They have tradition and stories to speak about in the encampment. They have God quite literally at the center of their world. Even though at this point, many of them were, weren't around the witness, weren't around to witness the exodus. Some of them maybe were too young to even, even know what was going on. Do you, do you think any of them at this point are, are asking, hey, hey, does anyone know why, why we're out here? Does anyone know what we're doing while we're, while we're camped out here? Entering the promised land was a deep yearning within the hearts of the people. Day after day, they dreamt about a new life in a new land. When Sarah and I got engaged, there, there was something different that immediately happened with our, with our relationship. I, I proposed to her while she was studying abroad in, in Peru, and, and, and I'll never forget the day I'll never forget the day that, that I went to pick her up at the airport when she returned. I can't, I can't explain it to you, but, but, but I, was, I was nervous. I, I remember dressing up more so than I normally would. I, I went and bought her flowers. I, I cleaned out my car. Being engaged and being married are, are, are nothing alike. But being in her presence again made, made me realize that we were about to enter into a life together that I, I had never known. There's something humbling about that, about the gravitas of that. Her being around made that inescapable to me, that that, that was coming, that was coming. But our wedding day, that made that real to me. It made that a reality. Israel crossing this river was a ceremony into a world unlike anything they had known before. Being in the wilderness and being in the promised land were two different things. Joshua is calling for the people to prepare their hearts by consecrating themselves and by coming to listen to the words of the Lord. Just like he did at Mount Sinai, God is coming to meet with the people. And anytime God meets with anyone, it's miraculous. It's life-altering. Notice that their consecration isn't empty religious practice. Verse 5 says that they are to consecrate themselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. God has a clear purpose for them. These are outward practices intended to open and direct the hearts of the people toward God and the things He is about to do for them. In verse 9, Joshua instructs the people to come and listen to the words of the Lord, the words of the Lord, because the event they are about to witness and participate in will be how they know the living God is among them. And so I want us to hear that preparation is an important part of the Christian life. It's easy to think that we can we can build habits into our lives that will draw us closer to the Lord, draw us closer in our relationship with Him. But I hate, I hate how drawn I am to making God inconsequential in my life, to treating Him like He doesn't care what I do. He doesn't care how I live. It's much easier to drift away from Him without even knowing it. 
In our day, we have so much noise in our lives. And, I, and I've come to realize that I didn't know how loud the noise was until I, I tried to prepare myself to hear from the Lord. That when I try to turn off the noise, I, I constantly feel pulled back in. Becoming aware of the noise happens when you try to go to the quiet places to meet with God. And you realize either you can't do it or you don't stay there very long. In her book, Reclaiming Conversation, Sherry Turkle says, we don't live in a silent world of no talk, but we drop in and out of the talk we have, and we have very little patience for talk that demands sustained attention. When talk becomes difficult, or when talk turns to quiet, we've given ourselves permission to go elsewhere, to avoid life's challenges and boring bits. We do this with each other. What about how we treat God? The very idea of silence, of solitude, is necessary for listening to God. But, but it's so easy for us to live functionally as though God has nothing to say to us. That he may not even be there. That, that we're afraid if we even attempted to listen. That all we would find is silence. But what we're seeing unfold for Israel here is, is not only that God speaks, but that his voice gives confidence in his power if we will but prepare ourselves to meet with him and to hear from him. Number two, power. Power. The central part of the story of Joshua 3 and 4 is the miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. But but I want you to consider a few of the features involved in understanding this event. First, the Ark of the Lord, the, the symbol of God's divine presence and power is the impetus for action. Joshua 3 3 says, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Notice the order there, too. The, the, the Lord is first, the Lord and then the priest. Here, he, he's the initiator. The priests, they're mere king bearers. Their job is to just stand in the river holding up the ark of the covenant. That's, that's what they're doing. But the one who's enacting these things, the one there to follow, is the Lord. Second is the way Israel is going. As we mentioned earlier, there are forts near the crossing at Jericho. But God is not interested in going any of those ways. He tells the people in verse 4 that following the ark is essential because then you will know which way to go. Since you have never been this way before. They don't need to ford the river. Third is that the river is at flood stage all during harvest. So not only is God choosing a difficult place to cross, he's choosing one of the most dangerous times to cross it. But what we see happen is that as soon as the ark enters the waters, the waters are cut off. They're held back. They stand up in a heap. So the priests stand with God in the middle of the Jordan on dry Ground so that the people can cross over. Listen, God can use physical events to symbolize spiritual realities. Something greater than a river is coming, crossing a river, passing from death to life, entering into God's promised rest. God's symbol, this physical event is pointing to something future and better. 
No, don't, don't hear me out. This is, this is a beautiful, wonderful thing. This is a necessary event in Israel's history. But something even greater, something even truer, something even more real is coming. Christ and his kingdom come. Did you know that the name Jordan means to flow down or to descend? Did you know that the name Hebrew means to cross over or to pass through? God is using something physical to tell something profoundly spiritual. God is leading his people to descend into the death of the waters, but they are able to pass through unscathed only by his divine power. And is that not what Jesus does for us? Only by way of Jesus are we able to descend into the deep waters of death. And only by Jesus do we ascend out into the newness of life. This is the power of God. Three, perspective. God calls for the people to choose 12 men to erect 12 stones to memorialize the event. This event, because he wants the people to remember what he has done for them. And not just for them. God wants all future generations to know the power of his wonderful acts. Now, if you, if you read this passage, again, it, you, you might get a little confused. There's certain instructions given for the assembling of the stones and the placement of the stones. I mean, it kind of sounds like the memorial is constructed in the middle of the water and at the shoreline and in Gilgal. And I, think, I think there are two sets of stones. One is in the water where the priest stood with the ark. And there's one in Gilgal where they camped in, in the Holy Land. If you're interested, I, I get that from Joshua 4, 8, and 9. You can look at that for yourself. But God's concern with memorializing this event is because he understands something fundamental about people. I'll put it on display for you right now. Name something significant that God has accomplished in your life. Name something significant that God has accomplished in your life. If it's hard for you to recall something, is that because God is uninvolved? Or is that because you lack perspective? Or are you just forgetful? There's nothing wrong with being forgetful. You, you just might benefit from the grace that memorializing the works of God provides. How do you grow a heart of gratitude toward God if you don't even take the time to consider his wonderful deeds? And how will you pass on the testimony of God in your life to future generations if you don't remember them yourself? This is why memorials and ceremonies and meals can be so important. They call us to continue participating in and remembering the undeniable works of God. And they serve as important markers for passing these realities on to the next generation. This public identity. This is identity. They're talking about identity. God wants us to understand ourselves in light of who he is and what he has done. We see this culminate right here in Joshua 4.19. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. That date is important because it marks the beginning of the preparation period for celebrating the Passover. Forty years through the day, God brought liberation to Israel and God has mapped onto their identity a new Passover for a new generation. 
a reaffirmation of their position as God's people in God's place under God's power. That is who we are. We are kingdom people living out our freedom from sin and death and inviting people to trust in the mighty works of God from one generation to the next. By way of the cross, we continue to remember and to teach the miracles of the God who saves. That is our perspective. Four, purpose. There is one clear, unambiguous meaning for the miracle that God performs in the crossing of the Jordan. Namely, that the people will know that the living God is among them. This isn't just mental acknowledgement. God's not after our mental acknowledgement that he exists. This is a tangible, physical knowing. This is something that the people have experienced. They have encountered God for themselves. Joshua 4.24 says, He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. The power of God is meant to be a blessing to the nations. God intends to bless the people of the earth through fulfilling his wonderful promises. The mighty purposes of God are also to encourage our faith in him, literally to give us courage. That's how Rahab responded. She didn't even need to see the Jordan cross. She had heard about what God did at the Red Sea and concluded, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. I know it. What you think about when you think about God may be one of the most important questions you can ask yourself. Is God big enough to walk you through the darkness of life? Will you believe like Paul that if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Maybe God, maybe God is putting you through the things you face this day, not so that he can resolve it and allow you to go back to the status quo. Maybe that hardship is in your life as a constant reminder to remember the undeniable presence of God in your life. Because how else will you get through it? What else will sustain you? Sure, he could perform a miracle, but he, will he not be with you and will he not sustain you? I pray that at the end of our days, we aren't in disarray about all the things we think God hasn't done for us. But at some point, we'll look back at the generations behind us and proclaim the faithfulness of our God which we encountered in our day. And they'll ask us, how can we be so sure? And we'll tell them, because he did it for me. And what he has done for me, I know he will do for you. And they'll ask, well, what, what did you do? How did you live so that we can follow in your footsteps? And we'll say, we trusted him to carry us where we could not go ourselves. We got up and we walked across the way, but we went away. We did not know because we went away that only he could bring us.
And never did the presence of God evade us. He has always been before us. I know I can't explain it, but I know I can't deny it. Preparation, power, perspective, purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you, you are God of, of the heavens above and the earth below. God, we know that you are the one who holds us, who sustains us, who carry us in, carries us in the direction that we should go, that we are to follow you, God. God, I pray that we would see these things, that we would hear these things, that we would know these things, that we would turn our hearts to you, that we would prepare to encounter you. God, that we would see your power God, that you would change, you give us this new idea, that we wear this, this new perspective. And God, that we would tell others of, of the purposes that you have for them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.